16 through 18 today, but let's just go ahead and set the context by reading the paragraph. So we're going to be reading from John 1, verses 14 through 18. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him and explained, This is the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because He existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from His fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is at the right and is at the Father's side. He has revealed Him. May God bless our study of the wisdom of Scripture this morning. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you. We are grateful to be gathered here. We are so thankful that we can, we can, we can dive into the beauty of the Scripture and be transformed by that which we see. But we know that we can't do that alone, Lord. So we ask that you would set, open up our hearts, open up our minds. When we come to the Scripture, we pray that you would res- remove any preconceived notions or prejudice that might uh, hinder our sight for the beauty that we can, that's contained there. I pray that we would mine it out like good Miners seeking out for gold, and that we would be blessed by its treasures. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to look here at just these two verses here, this John 16 through 18, and we're going to look at this idea of what does it mean that we've received grace upon grace from Christ, and what does it mean that, that no one has seen God except for the fact that the one, the Son, who is himself God, who was at the Father's side, he is the one who revealed him. So this, this again becomes a clue. Uh, I, I am grateful for my uh, being raised in, in the religious tradition that I've been raised in. Uh, there, were, there were moments of my life where I rebelled against it. There were moments of my life where I had some bitterness toward it. But now at 50, I am overwhelmingly grateful for God's faithfulness in this journey that I have been on. But at the same time, we have to remember that there's a difference between following Jesus and being a practitioner of Christianity. Because Christianity has evolved over time. It's an organized religion. It, 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 is, it is under the influence of dominant cultural ideas. And when we get together and codify our religion and we create statements that demand uh, adherence to in order to be in or out, well, now when all this stuff begins to happen, this is where man, it may be in partnership with the Holy Spirit, but man is creating these structures. And so it's fine that man creates structures, but sometimes... New wine needs new wineskin. And uh, that, that ought to be, you ought to experience that in your own journey, that there are moments when the Spirit is bringing a fresh wine to your personal journey, and that creates a new wineskin. It doesn't mean that the old, uh, old wineskin is evil, bad, wrong. It just means that it's fulfilled its purpose. And it's time to move on to something a little bit broader. And so, so as we take a look at this idea uh, that Jesus is the one who reveals God, what we're looking for, what we're desiring is, is, is to allow the Holy Spirit transform us so that we're not just good Christians, but we're faithful followers of Jesus. That, that is our ultimate goal here is to be faithful followers of Jesus. So here we have this one idea And here we establish an idea that is critical for us to apprehend and and, and, uh, embrace with our minds. What we find here is that Jesus came to reveal the Father. 
Now, whatever else we may add to that, based on our religious traditions, we're going to have some beliefs about his miracles. We're going to have some beliefs about his death and his resurrection. We're going to have certain beliefs in what, the, uh, what, what, what we might call atonement theories, which is theories about how exactly does the cross work and how does it forgive us of our sins and make us right with God. The, the Bible never explicitly explains how that works. So systematic theology has provided us with a history of development of atonement theories and so forth. Those are fine. Those are part of our faith experience. We need to understand what we believe about those things. However, they can't overshadow the fact that why Jesus came is, is a multifaceted reality and one that is underemphasized is the purpose of Christ coming to reveal the Father. Christ came to reveal God to us. And what's interesting, more specifically in this story, he came to reveal him to, to, to reveal the Father to his own people, the Jews. Now what's interesting is this, Jesus came to reveal the Father whose understanding was dimmed from a people defined by religion. But the religious practice was insufficient for the fuller revelation of God. That had to come through Jesus. And in fact, Paul even celebrates this idea that, that uh, the, the, the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And I've thought a lot about that this week. Now, I am not speaking as a scholar, as an expert of the language. I'm speaking as someone who's part of this tradition, this history of following Jesus and trying to make sense of my faith. But in some ways, what I've seen displayed in the stories that I get to hear in this community is in some ways, Christianity was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. There were really good things about the protection that it, that, that it provided for us. But, but many of us, grew to where instead of worshiping our God, we started focusing more on our ideas about God. And then the ideas become an expression of idolatry, which is why one of the great mystics prayed, God, deliver me of God. Because what he meant by that, not that I don't want God, but I never want my limited understanding of who you are to keep me from seeing you. So we get to see God more clearly because that is why Jesus came. He came to reveal the Father and in doing so, he reveals a key foundation to our faith. And this, um, uh oh, you guys are in trouble. I didn't set my timer. Go. Okay. I rebuke you, timer. All right. Well, at the very best, we're going to the pizza buffet today, so that'll help. Anyway, so uh, this, this passage celebrates a so, such a key foundation for our faith. And what I have found, I don't think there's anything new under the sun, but I do think that we grow, and as we grow, our ideas change. I have found in recent years, discussions about this concept, has, ha, ha, it has become revolutionary in the lives of some people. And so this passage reminds us of this key foundation, which is this. God is just like Jesus. We have not always known that God is like Jesus, but now we do act accordingly.
God is just like Jesus. We have not always known that God was like Jesus, but now we do, and we're called to act accordingly. This is exactly why Jesus was correcting the misinterpretations and misapplications of the people of his day, that even though they were steeped in experts in their religion, they still found themselves in a place where their religion was so detailed that it was starting to obscure the view of the heart and nature of the Father. And so God corrects that, not with another debate, not with another argument, not with another book, but with the incarnation of his presence right here among us so that God then becomes tangible. So this morning I have three actions I, would, I want you to prayerfully consider as we walk through this text. And maybe just one of them is what you need to focus on. Recognize the abundance of God's grace. Embrace Jesus as the source of grace. Understand the revelation of God and respond in trust and action. Let's look at this first idea. Recognize the abundance of God's grace. What what John says here in verse 16 is indeed we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. Grace upon grace from his fullness. In other words, the expectation ought to be, it should not be that we come to God in a spirit of grace and then we work real hard to maintain our good standing with him. Grace brings us in, grace holds us up, grace sustains us, grace, grace brings us through one growth season to another. And that grace is not limited. And when you think of your spirituality this morning, you have two primary places that your mind goes. Either you stand because of your discipline and morality, or you stand simply because of the grace of God. Of course, I couldn't help this morning because oftentimes, you all know, Sunday morning is my dog, cup of coffee, and Uncle Rich. Just turn on a little Rich Mullins every Sabbath. And this morning, I just thought of one of his very first albums I'd ever heard. In fact, it may be in the first song I'd ever heard. If I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will bring me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. In my mind, in my development, it was the first time I ever realized that Christian music and worship music could actually be honest and not just fantasy words. Because I I would have never heard a Christian or worship song that would have admitted, sometimes I cannot stand. Sometimes I do not stand. And when I do, the answer isn't more shame, legalism, and try harder. It's to fall back on the grace that first brought me to you because that grace is abundant. In fact, when this is celebrated in other parts of Scripture, uh, it's, it's shocking. It's almost controversial, the language that is used. So one such place is in Paul's letters in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes... He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that, so so this is very important. We're about to find out the reason why. Why did God save you? Why did God call you? Why did God seat you with his son in the heavenly realm? Why did God do this? Very, very simple. Was it to take away his anger and wrath? Well, the answer Paul gives us is quite different. Here's what he says. 
The reason why you were seated in Christ is so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We are liberated from a lifestyle that is anti-Christ to a gift of life lived in Christ for a very simple reason, so that you can become a window display of the kindness of God. That's why he did it. He saved you so that he could display his kindness in all the ages to come. Your primary job in your faithfulness to Jesus is to regularly examine your life and ask, am I regularly displaying the kindness of God? Now, here's a little trick about that. Until you embrace the kindness of God for yourself, you will be inefficient at displaying that for others. So the first place that revelation has to take heart is in our own heart. But look at this, look at this word, this, this, this phrase that's translated in the English uh, that he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace. The Greek word for that is huperbolo, huperbolo. It's actually the word from which we get the English word hyper. So if we look at this word huper, uh, huperbolo, it means to throw over or beyond to run beyond, I surpass, I excel, I exceed, I transcend. It means to, it's made up of two words. One, the word that means hyper, which is above and beyond, and balo, which means to throw. So properly, what this word means is to throw beyond. In other words, what this says is, it's excessive. It is more than is necessary. God's grace isn't limited and he's not rationing it out. In fact, when you find yourself in a position in your life where you are in need of grace, you can rest assured that the Spirit is there to manifest not just the grace you need, but to go so far over and above what you even need. It will sustain you. It will empower you. It will transform you if you're willing to believe in something that's really too good to be true. In this one instance, to go over and above, to go beyond. If you would choose to trust this, then tomorrow morning you might wake up in a completely different land, in a completely different universe. You might begin to see that the spirit of God, the nature of God, his kindness is characterized by abundance, not scarcity. So you have the opportunity tomorrow morning when you wake up to wake up in a world that's not as scary as the one you woke up in today. You have the opportunity to wake up tomorrow in a world that's not as polarized and frustrating as the one you woke up in today. Why? Because you will have chosen to align yourself with the truth of God in Christ and recognize tomorrow when you wake up, you are inhabiting a cosmos dripping with God's grace and love and mercy. That is the characteristic of it. We do not have to stand in fear nor antagonism 
in the time and place in which we live. Why? Because we have a deeper revelation which is behind the chaos in ways that we can't always comprehend. We are assured we are living in a kind and benevolent universe dripping with the grace of God. And that, that it is surrounding you. It's why I love the, the prayer of St. Patrick's Christ beneath me and above me, to my right, to my left, Christ before me and behind me. Christ in the mind of all who think of me. Christ on the lips of all who speak of me. Because you are surrounded with the presence of Christ who is the embodiment of the grace and kindness of God. In fact, let's take a moment right now to ponder this. What I am suggesting is not that you have to turn your life around, get up two hours earlier than you're normally getting up and start a process of uh, 60 minutes of meditation. Now, if you want to do that, more power to you. I kind of dig that stuff too, so let's talk. But I'm not saying that. What I am saying, it has to begin not with a large plan. Unless we start being grateful for micro growth, we will never look back and see the micro growth transformation that we're looking for. We got to get our eyes off the big deal and recognize that the kindness and grace of God is in the minutia of our lives. It's already sustaining you. So let's take a moment and we're going to close our eyes. We're going to take two, three just deep breaths because what I suggest is this transformation begins with moments of breath, calm, pause, and micro meditation to recognize and appreciate the abundance of God's grace in your life. Let's do it now. Let's close our eyes. Take some good breaths. Just pull in life into your lungs. Now take a moment in the silence of your heart or in the whisper of your lips and vocalize your gratitude. Father, thank you. There are so many things about this week that distracted me from your beauty and grace. So right now I return. Thank you. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. I, think, I pray that you would take a moment now, Holy Spirit, and give them a micro picture of when your grace interacted in their lives in the past 48 hours. I can see it. I can hear it. And we just collectively say thank you. That's it. If this could be a habit that you stop and routinely, particularly when your emotions and your frustrations are reaching sky high, God is right there. It's just that we are often too distracted to recognize. And if we could pause and have a moment of micro meditation that lasts 30 to 60 seconds to enter into a present state of gratitude, and then it's so much easier to see the flow of God's kindness all around us. And more importantly, to participate in it. So recognize the abundant nature of God's grace and become a display of his kindness. Number two, embrace Jesus as the source of grace. John writes, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
What we recognize is that the life of Christ and living the life of Christ, again, if it was in the scripture, we would go to these places. The scripture doesn't primarily celebrate the benefit of the life of Christ being that we get to fly away after we die. Which is, I mean, that's great. I mean, I, it's a wonderful fringe benefit. I look forward to it. As I've confessed many times before, I, I long for reconciliation in heaven. There are a lot of dogs that I miss. And people too. Look how Paul articulates this idea. Again, that Jesus' grace is for the moment by moment stand that we have to take not simply a guarantee for a future. Romans 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's a heavy phrase. Okay, we're going we're to take a moment, put on our thinking caps, engage in a little theological dialogue this morning. It's an important phrase, especially for us Protestants. Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. This grace comes to us because it is embodied and brought to us through the ministry and the presence and the work of Jesus Christ. But what we recognize is when we give ourselves to it, we are not sustained by obedience and maturity. We are sustained by grace. Now, obedience and maturity are necessary parts of that experience, but they are a fruit of recognizing we're sustained by grace. The moment obedience and maturity become a means of trying to maintain my sense of worth or become a means of trying to maintain God's favor, then I have turned these gifts into idols and they will become self-destructive to my soul and they will hinder my ability to be present and to be human with the other humans around me. And so I recognize that all my standing here, I, I remember... Back when, in the fullness of time, it was time for young Artie to be called to preach. And so Tim came to me and said, I would like to take a weekend off. That was the sign. So you're going to fill in. And then he said, don't worry, I've scheduled it over a, low, a historically low Sunday. That's what he said. <laughs> and it was remarkably comforting. But I remember during those days, it was one of the first exposure to my false theology. Because on the weeks that I was going to be preaching, I would work extra hard to not say any naughty words. I, I was much more mindful of what was in front of my eyes when we sat down to watch television. And, and, and I did this unconsciously until one time I awoke into what I was doing and I realized what I'm trying to do is navigate my week more morally so that God is more glorified and more blessed through the preaching that I bring. Now, I'm not saying that there's not something real that looks similar to that. I am not saying we should, we should be unconcerned about our behavior, but this idea that I'm going to increase morally in order to adjust myself to a little bit more in God's favor, and then I've got three months where I can just be a normal person. It's so silly. 
And I did that fairly consistently. And I realized there are multiple ways that we all do that. You ever done that? Try to manipulate your, a deep season of need by cleaning up your behavior? What does this reveal about us? It reveals that we deep down believe maintaining God's favor is dependent upon our behavior. And this is heretical because it flies against the revelation of scripture which says, no, there is something mysterious and beautiful about the universal work of Christ. He has made us right with God and he's the one who has justified us. One more little bit of Greek. This word justified actually means to show righteous, to declare righteous. The way it's used is, 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 is in the ideas of I make righteous, I defend the cause of, I, played by, I plead for the righteousness or the innocence of, I acquilt, I justify. Hence, I regard as righteous. Do we have to confront our shadow if we're going to follow Christ? Absolutely. Do you have ways of thinking and acting that are rooted in your woundedness and your shadow and in your darkness and it's self-destructive to yourself and the people around you? Absolutely you do. And does the Holy Spirit love you enough to bring those to your mind and understanding so you can grow? Absolutely. Does your growth and repentance result in deeper favor with God? Absolutely not. That doesn't waver based on your performance. The fruit of your life and the consequences you're getting from your life very much are connected to your behavior, but your favor and, ple and the pleasure that the Father takes in you is not altered in the least. So this word justified means that God will always walk beside you as your advocate, never your accuser. And it also means that when we walk people, walk with people as their advocate, we are in Christ. When we walk with people as their accuser, we are anti-Christ. That's what it means. And so we trust, we rest in this work of of, 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 of this mysterious work of Christ. To be justified by faith is simply to trust that we've been justified by the work of God. It's, don't overcomplicate it. It means believe it and then act like it's true. That's it. It's as simple as that and as complex as that. Believe it and then act like it's true. To experience peace with God, we simply choose to believe that we've been forgiven and made right with God through Christ alone and then we live like we believe it. In short, we cultivate the humility to live like forgiven people. Have you ever met someone like that? Aren't they encouraging and unnerving at the same time? And this has real practical implications because the truth is we're all going, if I gave us all the tests, we would all say that we're forgiven in Christ. But the truth is most of our neuroses, anxieties, and fear stem from the dark and broken places of our soul that we are not living like. We are forgiven people. I'll tell you a secret that being in ministry has taught me. 
I have yet to get to know anyone who didn't have a secret life. We all have secret lives. Now, I am not saying that therefore those are always characterized by sin. I I don't believe that. But I do believe that oftentimes it is where sinful bondage takes root. And what I am saying is that thing that comes from your secret life that fills you with shame and that you read books, you go through prayer lines, maybe you even get some therapy, maybe you read a self-help book, that there are some levels of freedom that we can't receive unless we allow that part of our heart to rest in the forgiveness of God. Because what I've learned to be true is this. You will never be free of a sinful bondage that you aren't already convinced is forgiven and does not take away God's love from you. Until you can trust that whatever you're wrestling with is already forgiven and it does not impact God's favor in your life, God's love for you, then it is very difficult to get free of that thing. And so we don't get free by focusing on our darkness exclusively, but by bringing God's grace and presence into the dark places of our soul. That is where we need to know God. I'm not talking about the secret place of devotion and prayer, although that's part of it. I'm talking about the secret place that remains hidden oftentimes from the people that live in your house. That's where we cultivate a relationship with God. We cultivate it there it bears fruit that, that reverberates all throughout the, high, the, the, the higher, more visible levels of who we are. Do you have the humility to, to live like a forgiven person? Number three, understand the revelation of God. Verse 18 rounds up the paragraph simply by stating this. No one has ever seen God. The one and only God who is himself God and is at the Father's side has revealed him. Jesus has revealed the Father. Jesus was sent to reveal the Father. Even, even death on the cross, the proclamation of forgiveness, the victory of of overcoming death and speaking, uh, don't be afraid. Even all of these things are subordinate to the higher goal of revealing the Father. These are all ways in which Jesus revealed the Father to us. This idea is critical, and we see it in two other places in the New Testament. And it's very important because most of our struggles of faith where we're ready to give up and walk away are typically rooted in our understanding of how God the Father is supposed to work. If you would take all of your frustrations with the theological concepts of God and set them before the feet of Jesus and say, do I see clearly how this revelation of God looks like Jesus? And if I can't, I'm not saying we throw it away, but I don't let that become a dominant thing that's driving me at this point in this season of my life. Put it up on a little shelf for when I can get back to it at some other more healthy season. Because my concept of God has to reflect my understanding of Christ and because Christ came to reveal the Father. So Hebrews says this, Uh, Hebrews 1, 1 and through 3. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets. 
at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He, God, has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Now, notice what the author did in these two verses. What he did very subtly is he created a contrast. What he is admitting is that God speaking to our ancestors through the prophets at different times and in different ways is subordinate and incomplete without the work of Jesus revealing the heart of the Father. This is why we can't allow intimacy with God to be replaced by the study of the Bible. Now, the study of the Bible ought to be something we do in order to enhance our intimacy with God. I'm not saying, I'm not belittling it. I'm saying, though, it's not on par and it's not the same thing. And we have to recognize the differences between the two. Because what he is saying is, when God spoke through prophets and through various times and various ways, our understanding was still incomplete. But now that we're in the last days, now is the fullness of time because we're getting ready, humanity is getting ready to be introduced to a new creation, a new covenant, a new thing that God chose to do throughout all of the earth. And here's what he says, in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression, everyone say exact expression, exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on, God, on high. Jesus is the exact nature of the Father. Do I always understand how that works? No. Does that always and, and in every moment comfort me in my doubt or my fear? Not always. But the foundation of my life leads me back to this place. When I'm exhausted, when I'm tired, when I'm frustrated and confused, I still remember, no, Jesus is clear to me. There is no mystery there. There is no fogginess in my mind. And I have to return to that place as I need to focus on Jesus. You, we must regularly read Jesus our faith because it's very easy for us to make additions along the way and pick them up. And you've got to shed that skin like a snake and read Jesus your faith and be born again, again, and again, and again. That's what this life is like. That's what it feels like as you go from one grace to grace, from one revelation to another revelation. Colossians, Paul writes in, ver in verses 19 and 20, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You know, what's really amazing about verses like that. You know how much trouble I would get into if I opened up my little, my wee little Facebook my little altar to my own personal idolatry, if you will, and type, I'm just grateful I don't have to struggle and worry anymore because everything's been reconciled to God and it's okay. Imagine the comment section. Imagine the repost. Artie's finally lost his mind. The slippery slope of grace has deceived him finally. 
But Paul said that. He wrote that in our Bible. God put all of himself in Jesus. And through Jesus, reconciled everything to himself. Am I saying that everything and every person is living in conscious awareness of that reconciliation to the glory of God? No, I am not. Am I saying that every person in every place in every circumstance carries with them innately the potential to open their eyes and receive God's gift? Absolutely. And regardless of what religion they practice or what lifestyle they're pursuing, none of it will unwork the work that Jesus did on their behalf. The invitation is for them to be aware, not to do something to make it happen to be awakened and we can be part of that awakening we know God through Christ one of the primary ways to be proactive in our spiritual growth is to practice seeking a deeper understanding of God by studying the life and teachings of Jesus read something weird in Deuteronomy yeah I can't answer that there's weird stuff in Deuteronomy and if that didn't float your boat, go to Leviticus. There's even more bizarre stuff in there. Can we work to an understanding? Yes. Can we understand its relevance by placing it in its proper historical context? Yes, I believe we can. But if you're reading something that's, that reveals something about the nature of God that is very contrary to what you see in Christ, the answer is not to abandon your faith. It's to pause and say, I don't understand this yet. I can seek understanding, but for now, I think I'll go back to the book of John and do my reading in there. I think I'll crack open the book of Luke, book of Matthew, book of Mark, and just soak in the biographies of Jesus. Because there is where I find the least confusing and the clearest picture of the nature and the heart of God. I mean, you could even systematize it, those of you who are systems people. I have systems people in the audience. How about read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for 100 days straight? That would be a great way to steeping yourself in the manifesto of Jesus, but be careful. It's not very conducive to lukewarm religious practice. So you've been warned, but it is conducive to walking into a flow and rhythm of life that is characterized by life and life abundantly because it's steeped and saturated in the abundant grace of God. God is like Jesus. We have not always known that God is like Jesus, but now we do act accordingly. And finally, maybe your simple calls to respond and trust in action. Become a follower of Jesus or Renew your calling to follow him. Right now, this morning, before you leave this auditorium, believe in Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the Lord of life. But the invitation is larger than just to acknowledge a belief. Align with him. That's all that this kind of scary word repentance means. It doesn't mean, you know, punish yourself. It doesn't mean to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry again, and then feel good about that for a few weeks and then go back to the thing and then, you know, this cul-de-sac of guilt 
in repentance. That's not biblical repentance. Repentance is changing your mind to realign with the spirit of Christ. So align with him. Repent of the sins that have harmed yourself and others when you were not following the way of Jesus. And I'm not just saying that to unbelievers. Because sometimes believers stop following the way of Jesus. And we invite antichrist chaos into our lives. And we do damage to ourselves and those around us. And when we do that, we also have to repent. Realign our thinking with him. And repent of the sins that have harmed ourselves or others. And ask Jesus to empower us to follow him with our lives. Pray. I won't give you a prayer, but here's some potential contents. Ask him to be your life and your Lord and to fill you with his power so that you become a manifester of his love in the world. That's what this is about. I don't know how many new ideological Christians we need, but we need, to, we need a whole lot more manifestors of the love of God in the world. Where'd that idea come from? Oh, the scripture, aren't you supposed to be the display of his kindness? That, that's what it, the fruit of your salvation is intended to be. You're, display, you're a display of his kindness. You're a manifestor of his love, and therefore you are one of the vessels through whom this world is healed. And if it's your first time to experience this kind of renewal, get baptized as your initiation into the community of the body of Christ. We would be happy to do that for you. You can just make a phone call to the church. Very, very sweet, righteous Ruby will answer that phone. And then she will take out my chaotic calendar and bring order like God did in the beginning. And, and we will get together and we will drink really good, free, cheap coffee and we will share our stories with one another. And I will get to hear about how following Jesus has transformed your life in grace and how you would like to make that a public testimony in this community. And I would love to be part of that process. Because your baptism is the proclamation of your new life. In the picture of baptism isn't adding a religious affection for Jesus to my otherwise preoccupied life. It is recognizing I've been born anew and my entire life is about serving Jesus and worshiping the God revealed through him so that kindness is the atmosphere of my life and my heart. That's the kind of conversion I am asking you to consider. Finally, if we can be so bold, Maybe you're called to be here this morning to renew your faith and to serve somewhere else in another body, and that's fine. But if not, maybe you're here because the Spirit is bringing you into this community. So would you consider to join the movement to be a community so rooted in God's love that we're renewing the understanding and expression of Christianity in our generation? Do you all stand with me as the worship team comes up? We're about to... Uh, come to the Lord's table and take communion together. So how we'll do this, of course, is that those who are posted on the outside seats in the back will come forward and come around, and those in the middle, I think that is, uh, I don't know, it's a really handsome gentleman back in that corner, but I can't make out who exactly it is. Uh, it's, oh, Doug Wright. Uh, he'll take out, he's looking behind him too. Uh, <laughs> uh, he'll come out and he'll come around, and you just go back to your seat. You can 
linger somewhere in the building, you can come up to the altar. You can take a moment to take communion. But as you do, I ask that in that process of worship, of moving your body to the Lord's table and of moving back to your place of prayer and communion, I just ask you to create some space to ask the Holy Spirit, where are you calling me to respond to the message this morning? Do I need to recognize the abundance of God's grace and repent for the damage I've done because I've lived as though the universe was characterized by lack and begin to embody the revelation of abundance? Do, do I need to embrace Jesus as the source of grace and lay down my religious works that I've been putting hope in and that have been exhausting me and making me feel guilty and instead rest in what Jesus has accomplished? Do I need to understand the revelation of God? Do I need to repent because I haven't allowed the vision of Jesus to adequately uh, uh, um, impact my vision of the Father? And maybe I need to get some ideology cleaned up and move to not, not, not sinful to righteous, but less toxic to healthier concepts of God. Were you being called to respond to Jesus for the first time? And you're going to bow your knee and invite him into your life and submit to the work of the Holy Spirit and choose to live a different life than you've been living. Well, if that happens, we really do want to talk with you. We would love to pray for you. We would love to talk to you what it might look like to be baptized. So respond to how the Spirit's leading.